John chapter 4, verse 30 to 38. They come out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his discipline urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his discipline said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reap draw a weight and harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Amen. Thank you, Ernie. I invite you to leave your Bible open to John 4. We're going to talk about the harvest. Hey, isn't it great to have uh, Wayne Schumacher in church today? Wayne, how long has it been? What? Two months. Welcome back, Wayne. And we're just praying to get stronger and stronger and praise the Lord. I want to continue to pray for uh, Pastor Ted. He had a bout with pneumonia last week. Uh, went to visit him in the hospital Sunday night. He sounded like Darth Vader, you know, just... But I think he's getting better, so we'll pray about that. And um, I want to pray through some of this breakthrough prayer before we start. God, we just thank you for Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Almighty God, do what you alone can do. Unleash the power of your Holy Spirit on Calvary United Methodist Church that results in breakthroughs of repentance, faith, mercy, grace, miracles. God, we thank you for Glenn Lisney and that there's no cancer that they could see in his body. Lord, a miracle. Thank you that Wayne's here. Thank you for that breakthrough, God. Thank you for the 640 kids that are involved in upward sports, Lord. Thank you for the opportunities, Lord, that you give us. We pray for changed lives, transformation, new eyes, new hearts, new dreams, new vision, God. We want fresh encounters with you, not just on Sunday, every day, Jesus. We want that new spirit, that undivided heart that comes from unity in Christ and standing together on your word. So do what you alone can do in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray, amen. On the front of your bulletin is kind of a classic picture. Do you, ever, do you have this at home? Some people have uh, the reapers, the gleaners out in the field. You know, harvest time is an awesome time. Right, Chad? Especially if it's a good harvest. You know, it's just a happy time. And in the old days, you know, they used to get the families together and they used to go out and harvest together because, you know, there's a certain time for harvest, and it's like you gotta, you got to pick it before it rots, you know. you got to get it done, and sometimes they do things together 
when they didn't have the fancy machinery that we do now. And so there is a picture of the harvest in the natural that we have, but then there's also a picture of the harvest in the spiritual. We all know the name Billy Graham. He has spoken publicly about Jesus and preached the gospel to more people than any person in human history. He is easily, I think, one of the most recognizable and famous people on the face of the earth. If anybody knows anything about the harvest, the spiritual harvest, it's Billy Graham. He's in his 100th year right now. He's 99, and he's in his 100th year of living on this planet. And Billy Graham said this, and I quote, The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation. And we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities, end of quote. And I believe, along with many others, that we are standing, I think, on the threshold of what could be the greatest harvest or ingathering of souls for the Lord Jesus Christ in the history of the church. Listen, at this moment, more people on earth are lost More people on earth are lost and without Christ than ever before in human history. The world is ripe for the taking. The opportunity for missions. We just saw what was going on in just a little teeny place, you know, on a mountaintop on the Philippines. Opportunity for missions and evangelism and soul winning and kingdom growing is unprecedented. There are more open doors in more countries to preach the gospel than ever before. And here in America, think about it, you know, you got all the crime, right? And the opiates, the drugs, the suicide, the abortion, the euthanasia, homosexuality, the breakup of the family have all combined to give us the most depressed, discouraged, and disillusioned culture in our nation's history. 4% of 30 and unders are Christians. We have lost a generation. And the question is not, is there an opportunity? But will we seize the opportunity? Somebody has said there are four things that never return. The word that is spoken, the arrow that is shot, and the life that is passed, and the opportunity that is neglected. Well, the Lord Jesus, he never failed really to seize every opportunity to be part of the harvest and in John chapter 4 Jesus remember we talked about last week he met that woman at the well and he seized the opportunity to bring that woman into the kingdom of God and he did it to teach us that there are men and women at wells everywhere thirsty for living water and just waiting for someone to take that opportunity to give them that living water to satisfy their thirst for all eternity Now, the only way you'll ever get excited about the harvest is if two things happen. You've got to see the possibility of the harvest, and you've got to seize the opportunity of the harvest. So with these two thoughts in mind, I want to share, I think, three truths that will trigger our hearts to be a part of the harvest if we're not already. Three truths that ought to fire your heart hotter than the sun to be part of the harvest. It includes... Food and fields and fruit. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers 
are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers or workers into his harvest field. So truth number one, I want to call the food that should activate us. The food that should activate us. Remember the context of this story? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. It was probably a hot summer day, probably about noon, 12 o'clock. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling north uh, to go through uh, from Jerusalem. And it says, you know, they must needs go through Samaria. They didn't have to go there. They usually went around but they had to go through Samaria. They were passing through Samaria, and they reached a spot close to Jacob's well. And the disciples left Jesus to go into a village to buy some food, leaving Jesus there beside that well. And he meets this Samaritan woman who was an adulteress. And he revealed to her and spoke to her about her sin. And then he told her of the living water that would satisfy her thirst and in a few short moments, he brought her into the kingdom of God. And so when the disciples came back, when they returned, they saw really a totally different Jesus. You know, they left him. He was tired. You know, he was 100% human as well as 100% God. He was tired. But they found him invigorated. They left him hungry, but when he came back, his hunger was satisfied. They left him hot and thirsty, but when they came back, they found him uh, refreshed and thirsty no more. And he said to them in verse 32, look at verse 32. Listen, Calvary. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. At first, the disciples, as usual, they did not understand what he meant. Then Jesus went on to explain in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So in Jesus' mind, his food was to do the will of God. And Jesus tells us what his favorite meal was. It was the will of God. And it's like a three-course meal, really. And what was the appetizer? His appetizer was the word of God. You remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness? You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. He had no food of any kind. He could have turned the rocks into fresh, hot bread baked in heaven's oven. But he said, quoting from his favorite book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds or comes out of the mouth of God. And so that was the appetizer, really. And his main course was the will of God. Let me read 34 again. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, from the cradle to the grave, the burning passion of his life was to do the will of his Father. And as he began his ministry, he made one thing really plain and clear. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And again, in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And as he came to the end of his ministry, you remember kneeling in that garden, in the garden of Gethsemane? You know, in the shadow of the cross with the weight of the whole world on his shoulders, the mocking of Satan in his ear, literally demons, the demons of hell nipping at his heels, sweating as it were great drops of blood. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Did you notice in our text that Jesus calls God's will food. One of the marks of that the body is healthy, I think, is that it hungers for food. And one of the marks that the soul is healthy is that it hungers, really, 
it hungers to do the will of God. I mean, you should desire to do the will of God as much as a hungry man or a hungry woman or a hungry child desires food. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, uh, so my soul pants for you, O God. Listen, Calvary, the only place of peace, the only source of satisfaction, the only haven of happiness for the true child of God is the will of God. A fish out of the water will not be happy because God made that fish to swim. A bird in a cage will not be happy because God made that bird to fly. And a man in rebellion, a woman in rebellion, a child in rebellion will not be happy because God made him to do his will. Great missionary Dr. Stanley Livingston once said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. But there was the other part of the meal that Jesus loved. You know, his appetizer was the word of God and you know, his main course was the will of God, but his dessert, his dessert was the work of God. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And as Jesus lived, he fulfilled the will of God. And before he died, he finished the work of God. He prayed to the Father. And we're going to get to that when we get to John chapter 17 and verse 4. It says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Listen, we too are to feed on the word of God. And as we do, we will find out what the will of God is. And it is then that we will finish the work of God. And there is a work we've all been called to. And it's this, it's to be sowers and reapers. Sowers and reapers in the harvest. That's the will of God. And that's truth number one, the food that should, you know, activate us. The second truth that I think should trigger our hearts to be a part of the harvest is this, the fields that should motivate us. Look at verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Some versions say they are white under harvest. In other words, you know, harvest time is... is is always now. It's like salvation, you know. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. It's always time for somebody to get saved. You know, oh, I gotta wait. No, you don't. Now is the time for salvation. And now really is harvest time. Normally it took four months from the end of the sowing to the beginning of the reaping, but Jesus said the harvest is always now. The fields are white, the fields are ripe, and there's a story about a farmer who had an old grandfather clock that used to chime on the hour. Well, one morning the clock malfunctioned and it chimed 17 times. And the farther, farmer jumped up, he grabbed his wife and shook her and said, honey, get up. It's later than it's ever been. And that's what Jesus is really saying. It's later than it's ever been when it comes to the harvest. The fields are white, they are ripe, and if the harvest is not gathered, the fruit will spoil. You see, there was a problem. The problem was not the ripeness of the fields, it was the blindness of the farmers. I'll, I'll say that again. It was, it's not, the problem isn't with the ripeness of the fields, it was with the blindness of the farmers. And that's why Jesus said, open your eyes, open your eyes and look to the fields. 
I heard about a sales manager who called his salespeople together to try to encourage them to have a greater vision for their company. And he had this big white uh, poster board set up in the conference room. And in the middle of that poster board, he drew uh, a little black circle about the size of a quarter. And he asked each of his salespeople to come and tell him, you know, what, did, what do you see on that paper? Well, the first one said, I see a black dot. And the second one said, I see a black dot. And the third one said, I see a black dot. All 35 salespeople in that room said the same thing. I see a black dot. And the sales manager looked at them for a moment, and then he said, you know, isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that all you saw was a black dot, but none of you saw the white all around it? Mr. or Mrs. School Teacher, in your classroom, do you see only students? Or do you see fields that are white under the harvest? Mr. Businessman, in your building, do you see only employees or do you see fields that are white under harvest? Mr. Doctor, in your office, do you see only patients or do you see fields that are white under harvest? Mr. Coach, in your gym, do you see only athletes or do you see fields that are white under harvest? Miss Student, in your school, do you see only classmates or do you see fields that are white under harvest? Calvary, do you see only students or children or grandparents and parents and family and friends of upward sports that mess up the church on Saturdays? Or do you see fields that are white under harvest? If the fields were ripe then, how much more ripe are they now? Did you know that there are 10 times as many people living today who have never heard the gospel as the entire population of the world was when Jesus made that statement? There are what, six to six and a half billion people on the planet Earth, some say seven billion, and at least four billion have never had the opportunity. People like the folks at Hermes trying to reach. People that have never had the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Two out of every three people on this planet have never been presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about this. If only 25% of the population responded, that would be one billion people, four times the population of the United States. I heard a story of a, a Scottish, Scottish botanist who was out in a field uh, studying a little plant, a very small plant, and it was called a heatherbell. And the botanist was down on his knees, and he had a magnifying glass, and he was, you know, he was just studying this one little flower. And he looked at that one little flower for over two hours, and an old shepherd saw him, and he was kind of amused that here was this grown man on his hands and knees, down, you know, with a magnifying glass, looking at this little flower. And the botanist looked up, he saw the shepherd with a smirk on his face, and the botanist said, come over here. And the shepherd walked over there, and the botanist pulled him down by his side, put the magnifying glass in his hand, and said, look at this. And the old shepherd looked and saw the awesome, amazing, exquisite beauty of that one little heather bell. And then he stood to his feet, and with a tear streaming down his cheek, he said, oh, to think of how many of those I trampled under my feet and I never even knew that they were there. I wonder how 
much of the harvest you and I have trampled under our feet and really didn't even see, you know, that they were there. You know, we rub shoulders with people all the time, don't we, that matter to God? People that Jesus died for, you know, going to hell 90 miles an hour with their foot on the accelerator. But do we see them, really? Do we notice them? Jesus said, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. What do you see, Calvary? Bill Hybels, the picture of the big, meg, uh, the pastor of the big mega church where I, where I grew up, started in my hometown in Palatine, Willow Creek Church. He wrote a book and it was, it was called this, Walk Across the Street. Some information about the Fargo, greater Fargo area, listen to this. Some demographic uh, information. 18% of us feel it's important to attend religious services in Fargo-Moorhead. 43.9% consider themselves a spiritual person. 36% of us say we're conservative evangelical Christians. But only 14.9% but only of us say that our faith is really important to us. Wow, this is in the breadbasket. This is in the Midwest, Fargo. You know, Fargo may be churchy, but there are a lot of people who do not have a real personal relationship with Jesus. The fields are ripe, Calvary. They are white unto harvest. Truth number one, the food that should activate us. Truth number two, the fields that should motivate us. And the third truth that should just trigger our hearts. Truth number three, the fruit that should stimulate us. Why should we part, be part of the harvest? Look at verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. Some versions say that he gathers fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. How many want to be glad together? The word fruit there refers to the grain, the crop that would be brought into the barn or that fruit that would be picked from the trees. And in the Old Testament it was called, sometimes it was called the sheaves. And if you read uh, Psalm 126, verse 3, uh, uh, verse 3 to 6, it goes like this. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying the seed, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with him. Like the old hymn goes, we shall come rejoicing. We're going to sing it at the end. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And these sheaves, this crop, this fruit represents people. And people matter to God. And everyone is someone for whom Christ Jesus died. And Jesus said, these sheaves, this crop, this fruit is for eternal life. Fruit for eternal life. Every time you share the gospel, every time somebody receives Jesus Christ, you have put into God's storehouse some eternal fruit. Now this fruit is imperishable. It cannot be spoiled by time. This fruit is incorruptible. It cannot be destroyed by the locusts of life. This fruit that lasts forever. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, we are not to do what we do for reward. We are to do what we do because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we do what we do out of love for Jesus, he rewards us. And God, he gives us top wages. The reaper draws his wages. I heard about a man who was asked to work on Sunday. He says, no, I can't. I can't work on Sunday. I have to go down to my church and work on Sunday. 
And the boss was kind of a smart aleck, and he said, well, where do they pay you down there? He says, well, the pay isn't very good, but the retirement plan is tremendous. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you believe what Jesus said here about being part of the harvest? Do you believe that when you sow or when you reap, that you gather fruit for eternal life? Nobody can say it quite like the old uh, Baptist preacher from days gone by, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a preacher uh, from England, and it was the great Spurgeon who once said, if somebody were to offer you $1,000 for every person you reach for Christ, would you make more of an effort than you do now when the, re- when the reward is an eternal crown. Notice one more thing. Jesus said whether you sow or whether you reap, you get a reward. You know, it's all good. It's all good. Sowing, reaping. Verse 37, thus the saying, the one who sows and another reaps is true. Verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. You might not always see the harvest, but just keep on sowing. Keep on sowing the seed because God rewards both the one who sows and he rewards the one who reaps. And I think we can draw two lessons from that statement. No witness is ever wasted. You know, that that thing that Case said on television, you know, the, the Vikings, hey, you Vikings fan, they're playing today, right? You know, remember what he said? They said, how how do you feel about this win? He said, well, it's the third most important thing in my life right now. Most important thing in my life is when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Case said that. National TV, in the daylight, unashamed, humbly said that. And he said, the second most important thing is when I married my wife. And the third most important thing right now is probably what's happening to me. We won the game. He's sowing some seeds. Who knows what those seeds are going to reap in a young person's life who heard that witness. No witness is wasted and no worker is ever worthless. One of the greatest Baptist preachers in England also was a name uh, by a guy named Francis Dixon. And Dr. Francis Dixon had a young man in his church whose name was Peter and he asked Peter to share his testimony of how he became a Christian and So this Peter, he stood up and he said, well, I was in the Royal Navy stationed in Sydney, Australia, and I was walking down George Street, when out of nowhere came this little old white-haired man, and he said to me, excuse me, sir, I'd like to ask you a question. And I hope it won't offend you, but tell me, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it'll be either in hell or in heaven, one of the two. Think about it, would you please? That's all, sir. God bless you. And boom, off he went on his way. And Peter said, I had never heard anyone ask me that question before, and it so burdened me that when I got back to England, the first thing I did was seek out a pastor, and I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not long after that, uh, Dr. Dixon had a revival meeting, and during that meeting, he asked a young man named Noel to give his testimony. And Noel said, hey, uh, here was the way I got saved. I was in the Royal Navy stationed in Sydney, Australia. When I was walking down George Street in Sydney, one day out of nowhere came this little white-haired man. He said to me, excuse me, sir, I'd like to ask you a question. And I hope it won't offend you, but tell me, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it'll either be in heaven or in hell. Think about it, would you please? God bless you. And off he went on his way. And Noel said he was so burdened by that that he gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And at the end of the revival meeting, Peter came to him and said, Noel, you shared my testimony exactly. And not long after that, Francis Dixon went around 
the world speaking uh, on a speaking tour in Australia and all across Australia, Dr. Dixon heard the same testimony from different people of a little white-haired man coming out of nowhere on George Street in Sydney. And after Australia, Dr. Dixon spoke at a, a big Bible conference in England. It's called Keswick. And uh, when he was sharing this story about the little white-haired man, someone came up to him after the service and said the same thing to him. Dr. Dixon went on to speak in India, and the same thing happened. And Peter, all, uh, people all over the world were touched by this little white-haired man, this no-name man on George Street in Sydney, Australia, where Dr. Dixon decided to make a trip uh, to Australia. And he said, I want to see that little white-haired man. So he went to Sydney, and he asked a Christian friend he knew there, do you know this little white-haired man who used to stand out on George Street and ask people this question, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And his friend said, oh, sure, that's Mr. Jenner. All of us know him. He's very feeble now, and he doesn't get out on the streets any longer because he really can't see very well. And Dr. Dixon said, could you take me to his house? And the man said, of course. And so they went to his house of this little old man, and Francis Dixon walked in and introduced himself and told that little man of all the people that he had met all over the world who had come to Christ because of his witness. And that little old man, he broke down and he wept and he said, this is the first time in my life that I've ever known of anybody coming to Christ because of my testimony. And that was a true story. You have no idea the seeds that are being planted through different ministries of this church whether it's the Pink House or the New Life Center, the Churches United for the Homeless, or the Upward Sports or Awana. That guy, that little white-haired guy, he was a sower. Somebody else came along and became the reaper, but God honored them both. And I beg you, Calvary, to fall in love with Jesus. I beg you, Calvary, to get a burning heart for the harvest. But to do that, you've got to lift your eyes You've got to open your eyes. You've got to see the fields that indeed are white unto harvest, ripe unto harvest. Like I said, every Saturday, there's people now for eight weeks are coming into this church. Every Saturday, you have an opportunity to sow some seeds, even if it's a smile, even if it's a handshake, even if it's a welcome, even if you choose just to walk around the church while uh, the event is going on, Upward Sports, to, to pray. You could sow some seeds. Once a month, Calvary cooks, prepares, serves, serves food at the Pink House, that ministry to international students. You have, a, you have an opportunity every month to sow some seeds at Churches United for the Homeless or the New Life Center. You know, we might have an opportunity to sow some seeds at the detention center. You know, we go on mission trips every year, Nicaragua, Africa, you know. Or you could just walk across the street. You could walk across the street. I heard about a man who went to Africa as a shoe salesman. He'd been over there a few days, and he wrote back to his employer, and he said, bring me home. You've made a horrible mistake. The people over here, they don't wear shoes. So they brought him home, and not long after that, a man came and applied for a job at that same company, and he was told, 
The only place we have to send you is Africa in a remote part. And he said, I'll go. And they sent him over to the same place where the other salesman had been. And after a few days, he wrote back and he said, send me all the shoes you can. We have so many prospects. Folks, there are prospects everywhere. The harvest is white. It is ripe. Whether it's here at a big program like Upwards or it's across the street or next door. The fields are white. They are ripe. And may God send us all as laborers in to the harvest field. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the admonition. Lord, you said uh, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And you told us, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. And so, God, I'm going to do that right now. I'm praying, God, that you would send laborers from this church continually into the harvest field. Lord, I thank you for the ones that are already out there doing your thing, doing your will, eating your food, experiencing your fruit. I thank you for that, God. But I pray that you raise up more and more laborers to go out into the harvest field, whether it's to sow seeds or to reap. And God, we will rejoice together. Thank you, Lord. Lord, move us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Pour your spirit into our lives, Lord, so that we will be witnesses, first in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, God. Thank you that we can be a part of your program. And even when it comes to giving, Lord, I thank you that you call us to bring in the tithe, the whole tithe, not the half tithe, not three-quarters tithe, not no nothing, Lord. You, you call us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. We would be a worship time as we bring you our offering, Lord, our love. And we, we just honor you in this way with our first fruits, not our second fruits, our first fruits. We honor you, God, today. Lord, I pray that true worship would happen even during the offering time, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray that we would rejoice uh, bringing in the sheaves, that more and more people would come to know you, whether they end up coming to this church or not, more and more people would come to know you because of the seeds of the gospel that are sown through the lives of these dear people sitting before me. In Jesus' name, amen.